Acts chapter number 7, we'll begin in uh, verse number, let me make sure I got in the right spot here. Acts chapter number 7, we'll begin in verse number 15. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sychem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sycam. Now let me pause here. This is the message that Stephen is preaching to the Jews. And um, if you are familiar with this sermon at the end, at the invitation time, it didn't go so well for Stephen. For that matter, it really didn't go well for the Jews. Uh, at the end of this sermon, and really Stephen said nothing that would be that offensive other than he pinned the blame of crucifying Jesus Christ on the Jews. Well, why would they be offended by that? They were all there saying, crucify him, crucify him. And yet at the end, they, they, they gnashed upon him with their teeth. They picked up stones and they stoned this man for death, to death just for preaching to them the truth. And you know, we are, uh, we are not yet quite, at least in our community, of, to the point where when we preach the truth, that our lives are in danger. But I will say this, the spirit of what's going on around us certainly is lending toward moving in that direction. You know, people don't just turn away from God, and this country, as I've said recently, has become a pagan country. Things don't get bad overnight. They happen incrementally. And, and you know, things, bad things will happen, and God's people will be in shock, and will, you know, they will uh, rise up, and they'll resist, and they'll get active, and then what happens is the devil just backs off a little bit, and then all of God's people relax, and then after he does that, he just starts easing in a little bit, and God's people don't even recognize it. It's like he sets the bar real high, he backs off, and then he just starts incrementally moving toward that direction, and God's people, who too often are asleep spiritually today, they just they, they, they kind of see it happening, they don't like it, but they don't do anything about it. We continue in verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children, to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel." And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? 
But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. You know, I just got to pause here. This was going on for several hundred years. God was hearing it. This isn't some new revelation to God. It's a really new revelation to Moses that God knew what was going on and that God cared. But none of this was anything that was new or took God by surprise. God says, I have heard the groaning and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Today I want to preach on the subject of how to listen to God. This is an example of Moses. Last week we preached on the subject of listening in the last days, and that was very much um, a sermon that exposes the problem, why we're not listening to God. Today we go from correction to instruction. It's not good enough to just recognize why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to go the next step further and figure out how can we actually put the principles of God's Word into practice in our life. And so I want to preach on how to listen to God. Join me as we ask the Lord to bless our time together today. Father, it's good to be in church and it is good to be saved. It is good to have a Bible It's good to know the truth. Lord, we live in a generation uh, much like Stephen. The religious crowd rejected Stephen's message. At the end, they, they martyred him. They brutally murdered him just for preaching to them the truth. Lord, he was trying to help them and to correct them. And yet they rejected and resisted all that he had to say. We're certainly living in a generation where more and more People are resisting and rejecting the truth of God's Word. Lord, God's men that are staying faithful to the Bible are being accused of being judgmental. And Lord, uh, we're getting accused of being the real cause of the problem. And Father, we know that it's so untrue. God, please help us to be faithful. And I pray, God, that everyone listening today... Everyone that listens to this message uh, off of the internet in the future, God, that you would speak to hearts and touch hearts and help us to make a difference for your glory and honor. Help us, Lord, to learn how to listen to you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
quick review from last week's message on listening in the last days. We talked a lot about what causes spiritual hearing loss. Number one, we talked about this concept of being dull of hearing. Jesus spoke of being dull of hearing on numerous occasions. And really being dull of hearing is hearing a lot and applying very little. The more that you hear the truth and reject it or ignore it, then the more and more your ears become dull of hearing. You know, you get in a room that is filled with noise. When you first walk into that room, you notice it. But the longer that you're around that noise, the more that you get used to it and you learn, you get the ability to basically just tune it out. And that's the same thing that happens to too many people spiritually. We hear, we hear, we hear. We know what the truth is. We know what the preacher is getting ready to say next. And we've gotten so accustomed to not responding that we just have a way. I don't know that it's always conscious. I don't think that God's people are just sitting there going, oh, here it comes, you know, <laughs> tune it out. It just, the, the dullness of hearing means that there's no, you know, the word dull means it's not sharp anymore. You preach the truth, and it ought to pierce the heart. It ought to bring conviction. And we make mental assent, yeah, yeah, preacher, you're right. But there's no sharpness to it. Hey, I got news for you. The Word of God is still quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The problem is not with the sharpness of this sword. I think that the problem is that the hardness of the heart or perhaps maybe the nerve endings are so so numb that when that Word of God slices, we don't even feel it. It's a dangerous, dangerous hearing loss condition. Number two, selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear and we tune out what we don't want to hear. Number three, we talked last week about how the wrong attitude of heart produces the wrong appetite of the ears. If your heart's attitude is wrong and you have a desire for worldly things and you want the preacher to tell you what you want to hear, and too often preachers today are willing to give the people what they want. You know, Moses was not a man like that. Elijah was not a man like that. And don't you find it interesting, if you recall, if you're a Bible reader or student at all, you remember how that Ahab and Jezebel had led the nation of Israel into idolatry, into Baal worship, and total rejection of God. In fact, if somebody was a prophet of God, they were seeking to kill them. They were literally prophets of God having to hide in the caves to keep from getting murdered. That's what's going on in the nation of Israel during the reign of Ahab. Elijah shows up and he's preaching against Baal worship. He's preaching, he's reproving and rebuking Ahab. And he prays and he says, God, withhold the rain for three and a half years. And when Ahab finally got an audience with Elijah. You know what he said? Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It's your fault, preacher. You're the one making everybody feel bad. You're the one that caused this drought to take place. 
Isn't that interesting? Because that's the attitude of people today. Oh, my wickedness and my... Hey, it's okay for me to shack up with my partner. It's not, it's not adultery anymore. It's not being a whoremonger. It's cohabiting, right? With my partner. And it's totally against the Word of God. And when the preacher... And it's a, on rare occasion today when the preacher gets up and says, Hey, you're wrong. You need to repent. You are bringing God's judgment upon you. You are being a reproach to Christ. When the preacher says it point blank, then who's... I mean, if perchance it makes anybody feel guilty and feel bad. Oh, they made me feel so bad. It's the preacher's fault. No, you're shacking up. Fix it. The preacher is just telling you, he's, he's warning you, hey, don't, don't go running off of that cliff and destroy your life. Don't go to hell. Don't cause yourself harm and hurt. Don't cause shame to the cause of Christ. Don't hurt our Savior. Don't you find it interesting? I mean, think about it, brothers and sisters. There's, think of the cross of Calvary. Why did Jesus do what he did on the cross? Think about what, think about what he went through. The internal suffering, the rejection, they spit upon him. They mocked him. They said, tell us, prophesy who, who smote you? Not to mention the, the whips just literally cutting furrows into his back and the blood gushing out, exposing his innards. And then they drove the nails into his hands and his feet and he hung there on the cross. And he had to, I mean, every time that he couldn't hold himself up, he would begin to suffocate. Crucifixion is probably the worst, most horrible thing that anybody could go through. Why did he do it? For sin. You know, I understand he did it because he loves me and he loves you. But listen, we got to get past this. Oh, he did it because he loves me so much. No, he did it because of your sin. Somebody had to pay the price for it. And he knew that if you paid the price for it, you'd spend an eternity in hell. And he loved you enough to say, hey, I'll do it for him, God. How can we take sin so lightly like it's no big thing when we're the ones that caused the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The preacher's just getting up and telling you that how wrong that sin is. Wrong attitude of heart produces wrong appetite of the ears. And number four, hardness of heart. i got to hurry here. I'm preaching the same message again. Hardness of heart, number five, spiritual dementia. We hear, we look in the mirror, we see, yeah, that's true, but then we walk away as a forgetful hearer. And so having said all of that, I want to dive right into how we can listen to God. It's not enough to know what caused our hearing loss, but how can we do some things and figure out how we can be in touch and in tune with what God has to say? Hey, God's a great big God. He's the creator of the universe. I was uh, 
during um, men's prayer meeting. I, I come in and I have the auditorium all to myself. And, and I enjoy that time. I'm here in the auditorium. I'm praying over the service. God, you know, as I think about the auditorium here, the Holy Spirit reminds me of you because most of you kind of sit in similar spots. And so I, 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 sometimes me and God have some really good times. Sometimes it's like everybody else. It's just, okay, God, where'd you go? I feel like I'm just saying words. I just don't feel your presence. And hey, prayer is that way sometimes. But boy, when God shows up and you just feel certain that you've got an audience with Him, and not only is He hearing you, but He's speaking back to you, that is a wonderful thing. And when we go through seasons or spells of life, when we have that drought, and it's like God is silent and He's distant, that is a dangerous place to be. We've got to learn how to have this closeness and be able to hear His voice. Moses, if anyone learned how to hear from God, uh, certainly we could say Moses is at the top of the list. Uh, I mean, Moses is a man that actually God spoke to face to face. He was not like any other prophet. And so Moses, as we, we read a little bit of it from Stephen's message, Moses was kind of one of these once upon a time kind of stories. Just an amazing thing. We read about it. He was born in a time where they're killing babies. And after three months, mom and dad realized that, hey, we're not going to be able to keep him safe forever. We got to do something. And so they hatched this plan. I don't know how much God led them to do this. I'm, I'm sure that God was in on it, no doubt. But we don't find anywhere where God says, hey, make an ark of bulrushes and stick them out in the river. That's just what they did. Maybe, maybe God knew they were going to do it. But they just were trying to figure out some way to save their son from death. And so they put him in this little tiny little carrier like a boat. And they stuck him in the river. And then they stood back and they watched. I think they probably knew that Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river. And so she saw him and she took him and raised him as her own boy. He wrote, you know, he, he grew up. He became a mighty Egyptian. He was educated, mighty in words and deeds. We read about it. And then, I mean, you talk about his story changing when he turned 40. And then when he turned 80, it even got more interesting. Wouldn't you agree that the story of Moses is definitely a once upon a time kind of story? Very, very interesting. But I want to say, first of all, if you want to learn how to listen to God and follow the example of Moses, number one, number one, and this one may be the most important, Moses rejected in order to receive. Moses rejected in order to receive. Look at our text here in verse number 22, once again, Acts 7, verse number 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. He had, uh, he probably had several degrees from Egypt University. He was probably the, the star of their, um, what kind of? 
sport what Egyptians play. I don't know, the star of their pyramid sliding down team. I don't know. Pyramid bobsled team. He was the star. He was mighty in words and in deeds. But look at verse number 23. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, there's more to this story, and we read about it in the book of Hebrews, in the hall of faith, if you will. Hebrews 11 and verse number 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Make note of that. The pleasures of sin are always for a season. And the season always ends. Verse 26, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, verse number 27 is not talking about when Moses fled after he slew the Egyptian. It's talking about what Moses did in his heart before when he went out to visit the children of Israel. Moses already recognized that, hey, I'm one of them. And somehow, some way, God had put it in his heart. God had spoke to him and Moses had listened. He had it in his heart that, hey, God's going to somehow use me to deliver them. He didn't have a clue as to how, when, or where, but he made a decision that he was going to choose the reproach of Christ. He didn't even know who Christ was yet. But isn't it interesting how that the Holy Spirit uses that terminology because it's the same substance. You know, Christ is God, amen? And so Moses recognized the fact that if I choose those Hebrews over Pharaoh... I'm going to suffer reproach. And he said in his heart, I would rather, I would rather reject Egypt and receive God, even though in the here and the now, it's going to cost me because Moses by faith recognized that when it's all said and done in the end, I'm going to come out on top. Pharaoh and Egypt are going to come out on the bottom. And that's what faith is all about. Why is it that Christians today don't like to suffer reproach? We want to be cool. We want to be accepted. We want to have the cool social media page. And, you know, the preachers today, you know, there, there are, there are preachers that I could name. Younger generation preachers that are really popular today. And you watch them on their social media. Well, if you want to. I, I, I every now and then I do until I can't stomach it anymore. But, you know, they get on their social media and, you know, you can tell they've been, they've spent more time at the gym than they have in studying the Word of God in prayer. They got their biceps going and they make sure, they make sure that they either buy that t-shirt that's two sizes too small 
Or they buy one that's 100% cotton and then they stick it on high heat in the dryer. And, and, and they use all the, they try to be cool. They use all the buzzwords. And this young generation of Christians, they're just, they're just get, they get snookered right into it because they're smooth. They are in touch with their culture. Where do you find any preacher in the Word of God that was in touch with their culture? No, we gotta be in touch with God. We're trying to take God's culture and bring it down to a wicked culture that we live in. Moses had to make a decision. He had to reject something before he could read something. Folks, there are many, many voices out in this world. I remind you this morning that what you see and what you can touch is not all of the reality around us. In fact, there's an invisible world around us. I, I couldn't tell you what the population of planet Earth is today. I, I know it's probably billions, right? Lots of people. You know, I have no idea what the population is in the spirit world. I read in the Word of God that there's a devil, Lucifer, and that he has his angels. We know that Jesus has his angels. He talked about legions of them that he could have sent to rescue him from the cross. And so that's in the thousands. I have no idea what the population is of the spirit world. But I think there's quite a few of them out there. And each one of them has a personality. Each one of them has a voice. And each one of them has an influence. And they have places where they have influence to the point that they, I mean, really they have churches. You come to church today, you know what our hope is? Is that we'll influence you toward the Word of God. Not by force of will, not by manipulation, not by schmoozing you through entertainment or emotionalism, but rather simply saying, this is what God's Word says. And if you acknowledge it by faith and you believe it, then you'll do something about it. That's the way that Christianity tries to change people. And, and, and by the way, what's wrong with trying to convert people? What's, what's wrong What's wrong with being right? Is it humble? Was, was Jesus, Jesus was humble, right? And yet Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's not arrogant. Because it's the truth, amen? It's not arrogant to say, hey, I'm right. As long as we know from the Bible that we're right. Don't make apology for that. There are lying spirits out there in the world. I don't have time to take you to it this morning, but 1 Kings chapter number 22, you have Jehoshaphat and you have Ahab, and you know Jehoshaphat made the foolish mistake to go and join league with Ahab. You got a righteous king that's going and making affinity with a wicked king, and they're getting ready to go out to battle against the Syrians. And so Jehoshaphat 
I mean, all of these so-called prophets of God are telling Ahab, yes, go out against them. God's going to deliver you. And Zedekiah is a lot like the modern preacher today. He is so classy and so cool. He makes these horns out of iron. And he puts these horns up on his head. And he's getting out there and he's, he's giving them a drama. Saying, by these, you're going to push the Syrians back. And I guarantee you, if you would have seen Zedekiah's sermon, you would have been going, wow, man, that guy's good. Man, he had my attention. Wasn't that guy awesome? And Jehoshaphat, who was truly a righteous man, he's like, "Uh, you got anybody else around here? Well, there's this guy named Micaiah. But oh, he's so negative. He never says anything good about me. We don't. You don't really want to hear what he has to say, do you? And Jehoshaphat's like, yeah, yeah. I think I'd like to hear what that guy has to say. You know, Micaiah comes out, and and they prepped him for it. You know, this is what everybody else is saying, Micaiah. You know, you you don't want to be the odd. You don't want to stand alone here. You know, surely all of these great prophets and preachers, they can't all be wrong, can they? Can they? So Mike Micaiah has been prepped, Micaiah, I should say, and so he goes out in front of the king, and they said, "Okay, Micaiah, should we go or should we not? Go and prosper." Well, Jehoshaphat is like, "What? That's your sermon." something's missing here. So he says, hey, how many times have I adjured you to speak the truth? And Micaiah's go, okay, if you want the truth, I'll tell you. Here's what's going to (laughs) happen. And it wasn't good. He said, you're going to die, you're going to lose. And uh, Ahab ignored him. And uh, Ahab lost his life very providentially in that battle. Micaiah was was right. He was negative. He was doom and gloom. I mean, he was everything that the modern so-called Christian world today hates in a preacher. But he was right. And he told the truth. And you know what the problem was with Zedekiah? God revealed it. He said, who's going to deceive Ahab? And... One guy, one, one of these spirits said, I'll go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Folks, there's a spirit world around us. There's a lot of different voices. And people are listening to all different kinds of voices. You're going to listen to somebody. So many people think, well, I, I got it all figured out on my own. This is what I believe and this is how I believe. Yeah, you got that from somewhere. You got it from TV, you got it from the internet, you got it from your education. Something's filled your empty head with thoughts and beliefs and convictions. And if any of those thoughts, beliefs, convictions, and feelings are contrary to the words of God, you're in trouble. Modern Christianity, so-called, is a lot like a buffet. Instead of sitting at God's table and eating whatever he serves, people go through the buffet line and pick and choose the entrees and the quantities that satisfy their appetites. Hey, you know what? If man's nature 
was truly good as the world seems to think, then this wouldn't be a big problem. Hey, buffet line, pick and choose. But that is the problem. We are not good by nature. We are prone toward believing lies. When the spirit world whispers those little thoughts and just little things that mixture of truth, just a little bit of variant from what the Word of God says, and we go, yeah, that sounds good. I like that. And so we go down that direction, and the further we get away from the the Word of God, you know, it's just a slight little variation. But the further that we go in life, the further away that we get from the truth. That's exactly what's going on in Christianity today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn how to listen to God, the first thing you're going to have to do is do what Moses did. You're going to have to reject some things in order to receive the the truth. Number two, Moses had to pass Patience 101. See, I've never, you know, I I went to school and I didn't see Patience 101 on the curriculum. Um, It's on God's curriculum. Yeah, it's a, uh, what do they call it, a core class. It's one that every single one of us has to take. Moses had to take it, Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 29 Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in the bush. God took Moses, he put it into his heart when he was forty, to visit the children of Israel. And what Moses was responding to was the truth. But Moses was not ready to learn, what do I do with this truth? He wasn't ready to put it into practice. He hadn't learned how to lead. He hadn't learned what God expected. And so, yes, he was right in what he understood, but he got impatient. He got ahead of God, and he tried to take matters into his own hands. Instead of letting God just lead him through that, he started putting some pressure on himself. By the way, whenever you feel like that you've got pressure that's pressuring you to do something, it may not be the Holy Spirit of God. Being pressure-led and being spirit-led are two very, very different things. God put Moses on the back of the desert tending a flock for 40 years. You know, isn't a Christian leader called a shepherd, tending sheep? God says, I'm going to teach you. You are all learned in the wisdom and education of the Egyptians. You have been a superstar. I mean, you've had that glory and you've had that success. You're able to do all of these things. But God's like, none of those are of any value to me. None of those are going to help you in what I'm calling you to do. But I'll go put you back there where you're a nobody. Nobody even knows you exist. And all you have to do every day is to wake up in a tent, brush the dust off of you, and go out and take care of stinky sheep. Stinky, filthy, at times stupid sheep. 
I'm not saying sheep are stupid, but boy, they can act stupid. I've been around them. And sometimes you just go, wow, do they have a brain in their head? I'm talking about literal sheep. I'm not talking about pastoral types. Well, maybe at times I've thought that. But that's what Moses had to do. In Isaiah 28, verse number 9, the prophet says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Hearing God's voice and discerning between it and all the deception that looks, sounds, and feels like it takes time and it takes experience. To discern the voice of God, sometimes you've got to get to know, to discern the the God of the Bible, you've got to get to know the God of the Bible. My wife shared this uh, joke with me that somebody here in the church posted on their their social media these two this couples at uh, couples counseling and they're giving them a quiz how well do you know your spouse and the the counselor said said i i bet some of you men don't even know what your wife's favorite flower is and the husband leaned over to his wife and he said self rising isn't it That would be me. (laughs) You know, once again, you take inventory of the nature of mainstream influencers today, and they're youthful, they're charismatic, they're personable, they're relative. Uh, Perhaps uh, the biggest, uh, you know, people, people gravitate toward some of these influencers today. And I think probably the biggest reason is that we're living in a generation where you can pick and choose who influences you, and the person that has the most influence over you doesn't even know you. You know, we're living in the generation where really the pastor is just a preacher. He preaches that sermon to me. Now listen, I know that some pastors have abused the pastoral office and have been controlling and manipulative. And I've heard stories of people going to their pastor and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm getting ready to go buy a car. You know, should I, should I buy this Ford or this Chevy? And the pastor tells them which one to buy. You know, if you come and ask me that kind of question, I'll just look at you like you're dumb. Seriously, it's like, I have a hard enough time figuring out what car I'm going to buy. Why would I be telling you what car to buy? But I will say this, the pastor is a shepherd, and we live in a generation where people don't typically go to the pastor with their problems in need of counsel, in need of advice. I'm talking about spiritual advice. What does the Bible say about this? They don't go to their pastor. What do I do about... You know, I'm having problems with my children here. You know, they don't do that because 
they don't want anybody that actually knows them to know what their problems are. Hey, I don't need a pastor. I got Google, right? I can get an answer right away. I don't need to be vulnerable. I don't need to be transparent. I can pick and choose who to listen to. And you know, there are a lot of lives that have been destroyed because of people following the wrong advice because the advisor doesn't even know you or who they're actually dealing with. Moses had to pass patience 101. If you want to learn how to listen to God, you're going to have to pass patience 101 as well. Number three, Moses turned aside to see the burning bush. In Exodus 3.3, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. Many years ago, I said many years ago, I guess it was probably about maybe 20 years ago, I'm in my, um, I'm in my early to mid-30s, and I had a situation where um, I was a right-hand man for a pastor that uh, got diagnosed with leukemia, and in the middle of a huge building program, in the middle of starting a ministry that was going to take so many resources, and I mean, you talk about the world's worst timing for all of these things to happen. And I remember getting alone with God. And I remember saying, God, my pastor is going to need my help more than ever. And God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing the best that I know how, but he's going to need more than what I can offer right now. And I asked the God, God, I said, God, I need you to broaden my shoulder so that I can help bear his burden. And you know, within a week, you know, at this time, I had been having a a little health crisis, uh, an infection in my body. The doctors had been treating it with uh, antibiotics. I'd been on antibiotics for about a month and a half. And you know, it was a about a week after I prayed that prayer, and I began continually praying that prayer, that I started getting really, really sick. And I didn't know what was going on. My wife thought that I had a flu, a flu bug, because my daughter, she had the flu bug at the same time. I mean, I'm sick as a dog. I'm laying on the couch and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. My, my wife is like, Anna didn't act like that. And so, I mean, I, she said, do you want some soup? I said, yeah, do you want, do you want to come to the table? And I said, yeah, I'm tired of the couch. So I come to the table and we turn on the light in the dining room and my wife looks at me and she says, you're yellow. And I, I mean, I, I was so sick, I wasn't even paying any attention. I looked down, it's like, yeah, sure enough, man, I'm turning yellow. And so we go to the doctor and what happened is I had hepatitis. Now, it wasn't the kind that you catch. Hepatitis is just an enlargement of the liver. It can happen anyway. Mine was a reaction to the antibiotics that I'd been taking. And so it enlarged my liver. I had full-blown hepatitis. I mean, I was yellow. Uh, My skin started itching so bad, I wanted to literally skin myself. (laughs) I mean, it was horrible, horrible thing. They gave me medicine. Medicine didn't even touch it. And I had, I was weak and sick. And when that happened, 
you know what God did? God got me away from my busyness. And literally, I was pretty much down for a month and a half, almost two months. During the time when I'm, what I perceived, needed the most. And when I got through that, things were different. I don't know how to describe it. But I had to turn aside from what I was doing, what I thought was so important, what I thought the things that I were do, was doing was so uh, necessary and invaluable, and if I don't do these things, then everything's just going to crumble. And God just stuck me on the sidelines where I couldn't do anything. I had no mental energy. I couldn't make phone calls. I was sitting on the sideline. And God was preparing me and teaching teaching me. He was broadening my shoulders to bear a burden that I had no idea what I was even asking him to do. Moses had to turn aside from his sheep. He saw that burning bush. He had to set aside some things that he thought he couldn't live without. And he had to put them aside and go up on Mount Sinai and check it out and see what that burning bush was all about. Have you ever thought about the many different ways in which God speaks? We read in His Word that He speaks through nature. He speaks through our conscience. For some, He speaks through dreams and visions. Now, in this dispensation, I would be really, really cautious with that. He speaks through prophets and preachers. He speaks through Scripture. We find that He speaks through thunder. We find in Elijah's case that he spoke, he spake through a still, small voice. But one thing I know for sure, that however he wants to speak to us, sometimes we've got to turn aside in order to listen to what he has to say. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you've got to recognize that everything that I think that People who can't live without me, look, life will go on. We need to get to God and listen to Him. Number four, Moses kept the mountain trail clear. Now, I'm taking a little bit longer than I wanted to here this morning, so I'm going to kind of skip through this and explain it to you. We're not going to take the time to read it, but you're welcome to check out what I'm saying later on. I always encourage that. Moses kept the mountain trail clear. In Exodus 19.3, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai by himself. In verse 24, he comes down to warn the people, and then he comes back up with Aaron in order to receive the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 24, verses 1 through 2, Moses goes up to the mount with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel to receive the covenant, and the Bible says they saw the God of Israel. Now, obviously, what they saw was a theophanies of God. It wasn't God in his true nature, because Moses recognized that. And when that happened, only Moses was allowed to come near to the Lord. Then, in verse number 9 of Exodus 24, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel. They saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And then, in verse 13, 
Moses and what God calls his minister, Joshua, went up to receive instructions regarding the tabernacle. Now, let me just throw this in here for free. Joshua was the heir apparent, if you will. Joshua was the one that ended up leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses was the one that was hearing from God. And you know what? Joshua was ministering to Moses. He was taking care of Moses' needs. He was hanging out with Moses. He was being any chance that he got. He was serving Moses. But you know what the blessings that Joshua got? He's hanging around the edges while God's speaking to Moses. Guess who gets to hear it secondhand? Or be able to hang out and, and just hear what God's saying to Moses. Joshua learned so much about God and God's covenant just by hanging around the man of God. You know, sometimes God will speak to you through other people. You just got to be willing to take it secondhand. It didn't seem to bother Joshua at all. I guarantee you when Joshua was leading the children of Israel and he didn't know what he was doing, he's probably saying, thank God I know how to lead them because I was hanging out and I heard what God said to Moses, the man of God. And then in Exodus 33, verse 11, God talks with Moses face to face in the tabernacle. But Moses had to keep that mountain trail worn down. I mean, there wasn't a chance for a bunch of uh, brush and grass to start growing up on that trail. Moses kept it well-worn. He kept it clear by keeping going up and down. Wherever God was, you'd find Moses there listening to God. Number five, Moses desired God. He wanted to be in God's presence. In Exodus 33, verse number 13, Moses says, Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, this is God speaking to Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, Moses speaking back to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses said, this promised land, we want it, but God, if you don't come with us, it's, it's of no value. Hey, let me tell you something, Temple Baptist Church. If this church became a huge success in this, if we became like some of these liberal churches around us and started busting out the seams and, I mean, literally not enough room in the auditorium to find seats for people, going to two services and all of a sudden, man, we're, we're buying this building and this property because we got money flowing in and we got people that are coming into the church and people are supposedly getting saved and responding and wow, all of this is going on. Hey, if God doesn't go with us, we don't want it. You say, how can all that happen without God? Well, look around. It happens in Mormon churches. It happens in Church of Christ churches. It happens in all kinds of churches that are not right churches. God doesn't go with us. I don't want to go, amen? 
Moses desired God's presence. He desired God's glory. In Exodus 33:18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God said in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand, while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand. Thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen." Moses wanted to see God's glory so bad that God made a special provision. God said, look, I can't give you exactly what you're asking for, but I guarantee you, Moses saw more of God's glory than any other human being that's ever lived. Why? Because he desired it. He wanted God's voice. He wanted God's glory. And something else, Moses didn't want to stay the same. You know, we read in Exodus 34, verse 2, and also verse number 29, we see that Moses, after spending all of this time on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, he came back down before the people. And the people saw him coming down, and they they were like, wow, he's glowing. His face is shining. I mean, if they would have, if they would have had sunglasses back then, they would have been putting their sunglasses on. It's like, oh my goodness. He was changed. Listen, when we desire the glory of God and we spend time around the glory of God, His glory is going to start shining in our life. And we may not have this physical shining of the face, but I guarantee you, there's going to be some things in your life that's going to start shining the glory of God. You're going to start being a better husband to your wife, a better father to your children. Wives, you're going to start being a better wife to your husband and a better mother and a better woman. We're going to start being more Christ-like and more kind and more generous and more giving and less selfish. And it's not going to be something that's on our checklist. Oh, I've got to be less selfish today. No, it's going to be a natural byproduct of that changing from glory to glory as we look at the face of Jesus Christ. Moses did not desire success. He did not desire relief. You know, sometimes I'm so selfish. I'm like, Jesus, come back. Come back soon because I need relief. Uh, you know, when I'm saying that, I'm not saying, Jesus, come back for your glory. I'm saying, come back to get me out of my mess. Moses didn't desire relief or he wasn't even looking at that promised land. He desired God. And so in conclusion, how about you? How about you? Are you ready to reject the teaching of Egypt? So that you can listen and receive the word of God? Are you willing to be patient and let God train you? Not feel like, hey, I, I read my Bible, I didn't understand what I said, what it said, so I'm just gonna quit. 
Are, are you going to be patient and let God show you what He wants to show you? Will you turn aside from your routine, the things that you think are so important that you can't live without? Will you go up to the mountain repetitively, keep that trail well-worn? Well, God, I'm, you know, you seem so distant. Hey, I'm heading up to the mountain where God is. Do you truly desire God in your life? That's how Moses listened to God. I don't think anybody, we could make an argument, nobody was a better listener of God than Moses. We have the privilege and the opportunity to follow his example if we just want it. How to listen to God? Well, God just gave us a number of really, really good ways that we can learn how to be good listeners of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses. Lord, his heart's desire to hear you, to see you, to experience your glory. Lord, you said in Hebrews that Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant. Lord, I thank you for Moses' faithfulness And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to all of us. I think back of my life the last 35 plus years since I got right with you. God, there's been many, many times that you've spoke to me. I can't prove it to anyone else. Nothing tangible, didn't hear you audibly, but I knew that the God of the universe had just talked to my heart and I thank you for those times and I pray God that I would continue to be sensitive to hear your voice and I pray God that as a people that we would learn how to listen to you tune out all of the wisdom of Egypt so much of Christianity today is tainted by the wisdom of Egypt. I pray, God, that we'd reject all of that. Get into the Bible and figure out how to think, how to feel, and what to do. Help us to make this Scripture our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to be quiet here for a few minutes and give you an opportunity to do what God has put upon your heart here today. If you'd like to come down to the altar, just slip out of your seat and come down here and pray right up front. Make a make a public commitment. It can be a wonderful time. Perhaps you just want to stay where you're seated. You know, it doesn't matter where we're at. What matters is where our heart is. Am I a good listener of God? Am I doing the things that I need to do to hear His voice? God, show me. I'm going to be quiet here for a few minutes and 
let God speak.